1: One subject we've been focusing on, and that subject, of course, is housing. That's what the talk has been about over in Victoria. Bill 44 passed with 45 votes in favour from the new Democratic caucus. And, of course, the opposition parties with BC United, the Conservatives... And BC Greens opposed. Uh, what's this mean in regards to this legislation? Well, more density. Starting in July, July 1st to be exact, developers will be able to start building a minimum of three and up to six units if they are near transit on lots currently zoned for single family homes and duplexes. Uh, in municipalities um, that have populations over 5,000 people. Well, this afternoon, Housing Minister Ravi Kailan spoke about this historical le- legislation and the fact that it will, he says, deliver homes a lot faster.
2: We are unlocking more homes and creating the conditions that encourage faster housing delivery in communities throughout BC. It will require every level of uh, partnership to make this happen. Indigenous partners, local governments, federal government not-for-profits developers and homeowners all of these changes will be far-reaching putting us all to work together to build the stronger bc that we all want
1: that is uh housing minister ravi Kalam. well joining us now is global bc's legislative reporter richard zussman good afternoon richard Hey, Jess, How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I mean, there's been lots of uh, debating, arguing. Uh, I know the opposition wasn't very happy in regards to how this bill was introduced, how it was discussed, and the fact that they, I guess, at the end of the day, weren't able to provide amendments and debate this issue. Uh, Give me a sense of what the last 24 hours have been like.
3: Yeah, so we're hearing more and more from mayors joining the chorus of frustration saying, We want to see some amendments here to ensure that when the density comes, uh, when additional housing comes, that we have the support to go with it. And there have been requests to account for certain challenges municipalities face. The latest today, we're hearing again from the Parksville mayor here on Vancouver Island saying we need to have a better understanding about the Airbnb legislation and how that uh, jives with the other pieces of legislation including the speculation tax changes and what that will mean for our community and because of that we need special exceptions well when the minister was asked about special exceptions CNS and said there will be no carve outs there will be no special treatment all municipalities will be getting this province-wide legislation and there is the challenge jazz and you've heard it all week uh that mayors are frustrated that you know, no matter what their certain conditions are, they are being treated the same. And you mentioned Councillor Dylan Kruger. He was the topic of conversation here as well because of, you know, the tweets that he sent out that I know that that you have responded to as well, supporting the province's legislation. Uh, His history working with, you know, the BC Liberals is well known. And Kevin Falcon, in essence, was left to have to try to explain how, You know, on one hand, he can understand Councillor Cougar's frustration that there hasn't been enough housing at Delta, while at the same time try to uh, criticize legislation that uh, he is voting against in the House. So it's a bit of a political mess in terms of where people are siding, because the reason why it's becoming a mess, everybody thinks there needs to be more housing. The struggle is how do we do it, how do we do it quickly, and how do we not place excessive burden on municipalities?
1: Now, uh, Minister Kalon was uh, asked at this press conference uh, about whether or not this legislation, Bigfoot's obviously municipal councils, but it will it lead to more cookie-cutter housing? Take a listen uh, to what he had to say.
2: What's important to us is to ensure that the regulations that are required pass. Once the regulations have passed, we will be making both the regulations public, but also we'll be making the economic analysis public so that yourself and all the people in British Columbia can see what is the potential outcome from uh, the important steps that we've taken. It's also important to note that the legislation obviously is very important, all the pieces that we've done are very important, but there's still a lot of market conditions such as interest rates, um, uh, global Global inflation that puts pressure on housing, but uh, we will be making all of that information public so that everyone can see uh, what we believe uh, can be the outcome of the legislation that we brought forward.
1: Now, one of the things uh, the minister uh, and the government have been saying is that this legislation, over time, uh, they are projecting a 7 to 14% drop in house prices because of this legislation, this greater density, uh, which I can't even in my lifetime remember a 17 to 14% drop in house prices, except probably in the uh, early uh, 1980s. Let's listen to the, the uh, comments from Minister, uh, minister Callon again.
2: Well, what we have seen from jurisdictions around the world is that if you increase the housing supply while also invest dramatically in non market housing, you can see a reduction in rents. And that's what we're talking about here making sure that the supply meets the demand we have. We have been welcoming people to British Columbia at historic rates. People are coming here because they actually see what we see, which is a strong economy and real opportunities for them. Uh, That is great. We welcome them. But we need to ensure that the housing keeps up with that that's what this legislation is about this is what all the work we're doing is about and again we'll make that economic analysis uh, public for everyone to see very sh- very soon richard i
1: find it amazing that we've raised in- interest rates as once in a generation increase over the last 18 months and vancouver house prices have not dropped 7 to 14 uh, percent the interest rates haven't been able to do it a global economy slowdown economic, economic slowdown slow hasn't been able to do it uh, do you buy the 7 to 14 percent drop uh, that the minister is talking about
3: I have a hard time believing it. Obviously, people want to live in a place where they can listen to CKW all the time. Um, there are clearly things about Metro Vancouver that are attracting buyers. We're seeing this in some of the hottest housing markets around the world that, you know, even though there's a downturn, even though governments are attempting to put in policies to prevent ownership, uh, that it's not having any real impact on pricing. So now we're starting to see again. This greater pressure on creating more supply, but we all know that takes time and comes with all of the challenges that you and I have spent a lot of time discussing. First off, we just don't have enough people to build the housing. And then on top of that, we just don't have enough infrastructure to support the housing, if that's electricity, sewage, roadways. So take all of that aside, even if you did have the housing, the demand still exists. And seeing this sort of price drop is something that is hard to believe. The target really is finding this missing middles, it's been described, that, you know, different ranges of housing. We're not talking about $3 million detached homes in Vancouver. We're talking about trying to find places where people settle to live somewhere a little bit smaller, maybe with less yard, maybe with shared space, looking at 1,200, 1,600 square feet in order to drop the price point, (coughs) I'm not sure the solution is take a $2 million home and make it worth $1.5 million. I just don't think that's realistic in Metro Vancouver. What is more realistic is take a lot with one house, turn it into four, but instead of having a 3,000-square-foot house, have some townhouses there, 800 to 1,200 square feet. Yeah. Accommodate for different styles of living. That's how we address pricing. But I just don't believe that we're going to see that significant drop off, especially in existing stock, because, you know, people want to live here. Immigrants are coming. I I just don't I don't know if it adds up to you, just 250,000 people have come here in the last two years. They need somewhere to live like and, and so with that demand means that there's going to continue to be high prices. But there needs to be that solution of just finding other types of housing that people can get into and and rentals and and the being creative and finding just places for people to live and call home.
1: I find it fascinating that, uh, you know, former BC Liberal Cabinet Minister, now an opposition member Shirley Bond from Prince George, was complaining about oh this is being rammed through and three former BC Liberal staffers, or at least one in this case, she was pushing back on Dylan Kruger, the Delta councillor now, but two other former BC Liberal staffers push back on a former minister as well. So you don't get it. There is a generational divide generational, s- yeah. that that you can just see. Um, but does the NDP? I'm I'm sure they obviously don't want to be picking fights with Surrey or Langley or Parksville, whatever community it may be. Is there enough leeway they've given themselves to say, look, if we have to make some changes, we're willing to do that next year. We do not want this to be a a massive election issue. There is
3: huge leeway. And the generational comment you made, Jez, is crucial here. Voters will look at BC United and see a different generation. And they will look at Ravi Callan, you know, dad of one in Delta, young family, Premier David Eby, family about to be of three kids, you know, speaking to the sort of issues that people are feeling. They're not speaking to those who already own their home in Metro Vancouver, who largely have done very well with that property. It's about getting people into their homes for the future, and speaking to that generation is going to be crucial, and that gives the province a lot of leeway to say to municipalities, we are going through this because we know the people in your community want it and maybe this isn't the perfect way to execute it but we know that people want to see action to ensure that there are various options when it comes to housing so people can have some hope of realizing that dream of home ownership you know whatever that looks like or at least a consistent you know safe clean nice place to rent that's you know close to transit or close to work that that they can call their own because right now for a lot of people that's not a reality finding you know a consistent place to rent without fear of getting rent evicted or tossed out or seeing massive increases in rent or the dream of home ownership seems unattainable for so many so they do have a lot of leeway to put pressure on municipalities here may not be the perfect way but they do have that political leeway richard as always thank you yeah thanks had a great show Welcome back to
1: the show as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series airs every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4pm. The series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected to hit 3.8 million people by 2050. How do we accommodate these new residents and how do we work, live and play in the region with a million more people? Now, Recently we looked at the shortage of industrial land in Vancouver. We also looked at how we should govern the region with a million more people. And what does food security look like in the context of a region adding more people, yet wants to protect its agricultural land as well. Well, today we're going to look at Metro Vancouver uh, through the lens of climate change. Almost three quarters of the energy used in the city to heat and cool homes, power vehicles, run buildings, and operate industry comes from fossil fuels, primarily gasoline, diesel, and natural gas. And it's these fossil fuels that are responsible for most of Metro Vancouver's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the regional government's goal is to have Metro Vancouver run 100% on clean energy by 2050. Now to achieve the target of emission free energy and eliminate ninety percent of the region 's overall emissions, the regions need uh, the region sorry needs to shift away from fossil fuels to clean electricity low carbon hydrogen and biofuels. Metro Vancouver, like many global cities, has no other choice. By 2100, cities around the world could warm by nearly 4 degrees Celsius on average, exposing the growing urban population to conditions that will damage human health, productivity, and quality of life. Cities are on the front lines when it comes to dealing daily with the impacts of climate change. Well, joining us now to talk a little bit about climate change with a city of another million people is Andrew Weaver. He's a professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Science at the University of Victoria, and he's former leader of the BC- Green Party. Andrew, as always, welcome to the show. Well, thank you again for having me back. It's a big issue, a big topic, and I did want to talk to you about this. We've, we've looked at you know, other issues around economy and everything else, but the bigger challenge around all of us is climate change. Um, if you could play king for a day. Uh, or maybe a year or two, whatever you wish, but looking at two or three things that we need to be doing well in a city like Metro Vancouver or maybe even smaller communities moving forward to make us much more climate resilient and just basically do the right things in regards to getting us and moving us in that direction, what would you want to do?
4: Well, thank you for asking. There's a, there's a couple of things. First off, from the climate change, uh, through, through looking through the climate change lens, Um, There's the issue of climate adaptation, means that we're going to have to adapt to the change that's in store. And then there's the issue of climate mitigation, means do our part in actually reducing emissions. So let's go to the uh, climate mitigation part. Vancouver has an exceptional opportunity for leadership. And and I could see, given the success of governments uh, in the region and uh, the direction the province is heading in Canada at this stage, uh, I, I could see a widespread electrification of virtually transportation throughout the Vancouver. Corridor sector. There's really nowhere to drive around Vancouver because you've got mountains on one side, you've got the U.S. border on another side, you've got mountains on the third side, and you got water on the fourth side. So it's a it's a an area just set up for electrification of mass transit as well as uh, individual transportation, whether that be electric bikes, electric vehicles, or walking. So I'd, I suspect it'll be a rare thing to see a a, um, a, a gas guzzling vehicle on, on on the streets in the next couple of decades. But the real, and because 40% of emissions in BC come from transportation, that's actually a, makes a, a big difference by electrifying, electrifying transportation. From the adaptation point of view, I just wonder whether we have learnt anything from what has happened. You know has the province learnt about the sumas flood i mean the conditions that led to the sumas flood are going to occur more frequently and in greater magnitude uh, as we move forward uh, is have the appropriate mitigation or uh, or measures being taken along the fraser valley to ensure we don't actually have events like that uh, questions about water security vancouver has a lot of water um and it uses a lot of water. But Vancouver's a weird jurisdiction is that it's kind of just there and, and nobody pays for it. Whereas, uh, you know, you don't really have ubiquitous water metering and, and that's not actually good for conservation. So I suspect we'll see um, in reasonable time more concern about introduced water metering occurring to ensure that there's actually a cost to using water uh, in terms of um coastal regions. Well, Delta has been dealing with sea level rise for years. A concomitant concern, of course, is is you know, the Fraser River, so I suspect we'll see dikes being raised a little bit in the Delta region, and at the same time, I suspect uh, we'll see uh, other measures being taken other coastal communities as as storms uh, surges create sea level uh, compound effects and sea level rise, But, but more importantly I think that we'll see a cultural change within our cities recognizing that cities were built in the 1960s and 50s largely, where we build big urban areas and connected them with transportation corridors. People worked downtown and lived in the suburbs. And that's changing. That's changing across the world to cities that really are more embedded towns within larger metro structures. And and Vancouver's already leading the way in that regard, but I I think we'll see more of that as we move into Langley, Surrey, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think we need to... um
1: discourage or prohibit new development in places that may have challenges and being resilient to climate change? You've talked about diking in, in Delta uh, and Abbotsford, obviously in the Sumas area is a huge issue. Do you think we need to start dis- discouraging or even preventing or prohibiting new development in some places?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we know what regions are more or less adapt, uh, uh, exposed to potential weather-related disasters. Uh, and the people who know that best are the insurance industry. There are; It is becoming more, more and more expensive to insure one's property, and in some places, some areas, more and more difficult to get insurance. Uh, I, I suspect we should engage the insurance industry to let them uh, assist decision makers in choosing where not to or where to build. Look, one of the greatest examples of absurdity in this regard is in the U.S., you cannot get insurance along the Gulf Coast if you uh, pr- private insurance if you build your you know thing right on the water there and uh-huh. a hurricane comes and wipes you out the government steps in to cover the cost that's not actually what we should be doing you should get insurance and if are you not if no one's willing to insure that maybe say that there's a reason why they're not insuring because that's not a good place to build so yes I do believe that's um,
1: um- one question I want to ask you is I've had um, a variety of mayors on, on the local level and, and at the Metro Vancouver level. Um, and they are heading in the direction of banning natural gas in new builds. And mm-hmm. I can open up the lines and I can have 100% of people tell me I'm stupid and I'm absolutely absurd. Uh, you will not ever take away my natural gas uh, facility. And I, I'm not, we're not taking anything away. We're just saying new builds will not have natural gas. Is that the right direction to go in your mind?
4: It is. And I, I recognize um, that there are some people who would be very concerned about it, um, but we're talking new builds initially. And so let, we're doing a lot of retro uh, fits as, as it is. There's no need to heat with natural gas or any fossil fuel in British Columbia if you have new bills one can build more efficient heating systems one can build to passive design which actually reduces energy consumption and loss and we have very effective heat pumps now that can give you cooling in the summer and warming in the winter at a very reasonable price we're not talking about installing baseboard electric heaters everywhere yeah. you know you might in, imagine in a big multi-story building that they might actually tap into some geothermal below the ground um uh, geothermal coils there you might uh build in distributed heat heat pump systems and and frankly uh as we're moving forward more and more people are actually already switching from natural gas fired or, or oil fired to heat pump systems because it's you get the, the value added of of what we're going to need more and more of is the summer cooling. You know, people would have thought we were nuts to put an air conditioner in a house 20 years ago. But, you know, I have two portable air conditioners in my my place now because it gets too hot in the summer. And so... Heat pumps solve that problem
1: too. Welcome back to the show. Just want to remind you that uh, Delta City Councilor Dylan Kruger will be joining us at four thirty. He has come out. He's a former BC Liberal staffer, by the way, and he's been supportive of the NDP's housing legislation. At five o'clock, Langley Township Mayor Eric uh, Woodward joins me. He has. He is not supportive of the NDP's uh, housing announcement. Uh, his community, he says, has been building the missing middle. Uh, and they don't want to be big-footed. This kind of legislation should be focused on communities that aren't building housing, uh, and uh, certainly his community has been. He's going to join me um, at 5 o'clock. He listened to our interview yesterday with UBC academic Tom Davidoff, And uh, he's got a few opinions on Mr. Davidoff's thoughts because Mr. Davidoff did um, provide uh, advice, obviously, in regards to this uh, Bill 44. So lots to go around on this uh, to talk about on this uh, housing issue. We'll be taking calls at 4.30 and 5 o'clock on that issue. That issue is not going to be going away anytime soon, and neither is climate change and how our cities deal with it. Our guest is Andrew Weaver, professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. Since we are talking about housing, um, Andrew... When you look at 2050, uh, do you see sort of the traditional single-family home basically or that neighborhood basically gone moving forward?
4: Well, it's actually a great question, and I'm glad you raised it, and I'm glad you also raised the issue of housing because, unfortunately, I think we're chasing something that's going to be very, very difficult to ever catch up. What we have to realize is that um, British Columbia is one of the nicest places in the world to live. It's also from a climate change perspective, if the coastal BC is one of the best places to live, because of course you have downstream downwind, you have the ocean which mitigates change and the extreme conditions that other jurisdictions would say so. If we look also at the demographics of Canada, we have an aging boomer population and who typically like to retire to our area. And if we look at what's going on and will go on with climate change in the future, I would suggest to you that planning for a million people in the Vancouver area by 2050 is probably underestimating the number of people who would actually like to move to our region. The notion of climate refugees is going to be very, very serious. And land is very short in both Vancouver Island, uh, the lower mainland, and, and the Okanagan area of lesser, So we're going to have pressures uh, as people are having to move. Like, what's, what are we going to do when Southern Europe decertifies? That's the path we're on this century for the decertification of Southern Europe. Now, there's a lot of people who would have to move somewhere and like, we live in a nice place. So it's, it's a very difficult uh, issue. I do think that the single family home, which was a product of the 1950s stay-at-home mom with the dad who had the nice lunch kit that goes to work every day. I think that kind of dream is is really one of the past. And uh, really, we're going to start seeing more European-type um, um, uh, uh, cities. And in fact, home ownership is, is, is not that common in many big European cities as well. A lot, mm-hmm. uh, but rent, rents are a little cheaper. So uh, it's going to get expensive in this area because we don't have much land. And a lot of people are going to want to live there. And the question is, how do we manage that? it's a very challenging job for government and, uh, I'm kind of glad I'm I'm not in the legislature anymore because uh, I don't want to work on that problem. Well, I'll let even, other people well, do that.
1: Just listening to the debate um, yesterday, and then some of the comments made today, and on on even on uh, social media, you had three former BC Liberal staffers fighting with a present M- uh, MLA Shirley Bond, former cabinet minister, and you can see. And I think Premier Eby was quoting one of the BC Liberal former BC oh. Liberal staffers, and it, it, you yeah. could see a generational divide there, even within um, the Free Enterprise Party there. Wow. 100%
4: agree, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, and that's part of the challenge. Um, we have a, a, a balkanized governance structure in Metro Vancouver, 21 municipalities, mm-hmm. 21 mayors, 21 police chiefs, fire chiefs. How optimistic are you that this city, this region can address these issues in a meaningful way? that actually can deliver results so that we can still preserve this area as a livable area. Uh, one that is still going to be a great place to live, but yet still has significant, significant challenges before it.
4: First off, um, i like i come from victoria and uh we i think we define balkanization of a small community <laughs> we have 13 local governments and goodness knows how many local councillors and mayors in it in a population of 350 000 smaller than vancouver yeah. so so and the problem of course with balkanization is is that he, everyone is in, in in essence has a vested interest to look after their community and so but i, I look i look at vancouver has actually shown great leadership on this uh, over many many years north vancouver has shown great leadership west vancouver has shown great leadership surrey has shown leadership uh, so delta has shown great leadership uh, and the fraser valley are are, are, are showing great leadership so I'm less concerned about the balkanization Um, because, I, I mean, you have big communities there. They're they're not like the community of Oak Bay, which is 20, 25,000, and then the community of View Royal, which is eight thousand or something people. Mm-hmm. So you have very large communities, and 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 you have a population that's very supportive of 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 common sense climate policy which which more often than not it's not actually climate climate uh, uh, climate policy it's basically good governance making you know transportation more efficient uh green space more readily accessible and things like that so i i i feel quite confident that if anyone's going to do it vancouver and its surrounding communities will do it and and they have shown leadership for such a long time andrew as always thank you for your time really appreciate it Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, and um, I'm going to go check the uh, the Twitter feeds now to see to see what was going on in that. It'll be it'll be it'll be something to to imagine and wonder about. So. When
1: when the premier is quitting, uh, quoting uh, BC Liberal staffers, or uh, you know, there's uh, some uh, political gain there. So it's, it was quite fun. There go. <laughs> okay. Thanks All right, very uh, much. Welcome back to the show. Well, the NDP housing bill, Bill 44, has passed. Uh, the law will probably uh, reshape residential neighbourhoods by allowing up to six units on a single-family lot, to increase density near transit hubs, overhaul the way municipalities collect fees from developers, and uh, set new rules for dealing with homeless encampments as well. They're down on short-term rentals, which will ban most short-term rentals that aren't in the operator's principal residence, and became law last month as well. So a lot is happening uh, around uh, housing. Now, yesterday, Delta councillor, uh, Dylan Kruger, um, s- uh, tweeted something out basically supporting uh, the NDP's uh, mission and NDP's uh, overall housing bill in support of it. Uh, there was pushback uh, from uh, opposition MLA Shirley Bond, a former cabinet minister in the BC Liberal uh, party at one time. Uh, she is a, an MLA that represents the Prince George area. Uh, she obviously uh, was not happy with Mr. Kruger's comments, not perhaps not on the broader spirit of the comments, but specifically about the fact that debate was being um, shut down by the NDP. Now, two other former uh, BC Liberal staffers, including on top of what uh, Mr. Kruger said, jumped on board and defended Mr. Kruger's comments. You could actually see a generational divide from the Future, from the past government, in this case, BC Liberals. Well, today, uh, and that uh, basically Twitter fight, if, if you want to call it that, um, caught the attention of our Premier. Yes, our Premier. And he read out uh, some of those uh, tweets today in the legislature. Take a listen.
2: Now, there was a Delta City Councilor uh, last night uh, that stood up and spoke out despite his historic affiliation with the BCUP, Dylan Kruger. He said, Big problems need big solutions. Kudos to the province for listening to the voices of housing advocates across Canada and getting this done. This legislation removes arbitrary barriers to new housing supply in local neighbourhoods. No more time capsules. Let communities evolve. And then Simrath Greywall quote, tweeted Dylan and said, quote, Dylan and I have been friends for years so I'm going to share some advice with BC Polly that I give myself. Usually in retrospect, I should listen to Dylan more. Uh, I think we should all listen to Dylan. We should be advocating for more housing for British Columbians that they can actually afford.
1: We should all listen to Dylan. So joining us now is uh, Dylan Kruger, Delta City Councillor. Hi, Dylan. How are you? Jazz, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, First of all, your reaction uh, to uh, a BC Liberal MLA pushing back a little bit on that uh, statement that you had made on Twitter uh, last night.
5: Uh, Look, there were some... Some comments on, on process, and I'll, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not an expert in B.C. legislative uh, parliamentary process, so I'm, I'm going to leave that where it is. But I've been advocating uh, now for the five years, the half decade that I've been on council, that we need to address this very serious housing crisis. And we seem to have tried every single tactic under the sun except for the obvious one to me, which is increasing housing supply. And I, I'll tell you, I'm just so heartbroken and sick and tired of hearing stories of people that come to me, send me notes about their stories, that they feel out of options, that they feel a sense of hopelessness and despair. And you know what? That's not good for our local economy. It's not good for our sense of community as a region, and it's it's a negative anchor on our society. So it is a massive, serious generational issue, and I'm really pleased to see uh, some positive action coming forward that myself and
0: others have been asking for for a very long
1: time. What, what specifically does it mean for Delta? When you say Delta, there's North Delta, which is near uh, Scott, obviously next to Surrey, uh, along the Scott Road corridor there. Then you have a uh, smaller community like Ladner and south of that to uh, What specifically will this allow you to do that you weren't able to do beyond the density? Hasn't there always been pushback in certain neighborhoods in your own community and getting, not wanting uh, greater density already? And are you able to do it now, even with this legislation?
5: Yeah the the issue really is systemic and it's not with any one municipality it's how municipalities have been created as creatures of the province through the local government act so pro, uh, cities need additional tools to to address the situation i don't know if anyone yourself or others have ever been to a public hearing but we typically hear really uh, micro issues from very uh, passionate folks living in the neighborhood but they're not representative of the community at large we don't hear from people in housing need. We typically don't hear from renters. We typically don't hear uh, from younger people. So what the province has said is that moving forward, when we create uh, local community plans, uh, we're not going to put communities into time capsules and say, hey, this neighbourhood in North Delta in my city, for example, was created in 1977, uh, and it's going to stay in that exact same form uh, forever until the end of time. Uh, We have to allow cities to do what they've always done historically, Uh, until very recently in the last few decades and grow organically to meet the changing needs of our society. So as our housing needs change, we can adopt our single family lot, add on a coach house, an accessory dwelling unit, maybe turn it into a duplex uh, and allow families a chance of surviving and existing in this region.
1: But do you think uh, what you just said in regards to the, those vocal people who show up to these hearings, this this legislation essentially provides you political cover that says you don't have to listen to those folks, that vocal minority. In fact, you can actually point to Victoria, hey, we're doing this because the law says so, and you can make uh, Victoria the boogeyman. This, this provides you some sort of community and legal or community and political cover, does it not?
5: Yeah, well, it certainly provides cover, and we have been told in no uncertain terms by the province that there is an expectation that we are approving more housing. Uh, not only does it give us cover, it actually now forbids us, we are forbidden from holding public hearings for applications that meet local official community plans what is the point of getting communities together spending years in developing these planning documents if applications come forward that meet everything that we're trying to achieve and we have to relitigate it at the last second and possibly turn it down uh, because of a few neighbors with concerns we have to have some consistency in process both for, for cities for the residents of cities and also for the development community
1: uh, what is now I traveled on highway 10 from from uh, your community and uh, head over to uh, Langley Township where Eric Woodward um, is mayor. He's going to join us at five o'clock. He's not happy with this legislation. He's got 2,800 acres of greenfield, uh, significant amount of consultation with his own community. They're building it uh, organically, holistically, with uh, community values and at the speed that the community wants, because A, they don't have the sewer pipes put in yet. In uh, some cases, hydro doesn't have power for them. Uh there's short, I think, seven schools already in that community. And now the government says, we're going to put steroids, we're gonna, just going to, it's like giving a community steroids. Let's just develop it all, all at once, yet you don't have these amenities. Um, do you think Mr. Um, Woodward has uh, legitimate concerns here? I mean, and, and why would he want that to happen to his community. I mean, do you understand some of the challenge in regards to going headfirst into this, that it could impact in a negative way uh, communities like his?
5: Yeah, listen, I've had a lot of respect for Mayor Woodward, and I think he does have some legitimate uh, points. Uh, his issues, though, the way I see them, it's a revenue issue. We, And this is a separate but very serious issue. Uh, municipal revenue-generating opportunities are severely limited by legislation in this province, more so than in other jurisdictions. So municipalities have been relying on a funding deficit to build and maintain infrastructure, uh, basically through extortion of developers by saying, OK, in, according to the plan, you can build four storeys, but we'll let you build six or we'll let you build 20 if you give us a land lift contribution Uh, that allows us to go and build our rec centers and upgrade all of our utilities and infrastructure. That's how we've been getting by. So I support the changes that have been made on housing. We, this is not the end of the conversation. This is a starting point. This is a great start. There is so much more to do. And I think the next step is we need a real serious conversation about how we are raising revenue in local cities. And if the federal government and the provincial government are wanting us and expecting us to approve more housing, we also need their support to build the needed infrastructure to accommodate that growth. Uh,
1: are you ready to deal with the first boomer who's going to come knocking on your door? He goes, I- I've got four units being built next door in my quiet, leafy... Middle class, uh, a single family home neighborhood that I've been living in for thirty years. What is going on here? And you're going to justify that to them? I think
5: there is a bit of a narrative out there that we're going to see entire neighborhoods bulldozed overnight. That overnight, uh, we're going to the, the sewers will be overflowing and the traffic will be overflowing. Uh, let's be clear: what this allows us is to allow cities to grow organically again as they should. We are going to see gradual uptake. It will take many years and decades. Like I said, this is a starting point. This is not an end to our housing crisis. Uh, We're not going to see neighbourhoods change overnight. We are going to see change and we need to be a part of educating and having that community conversation that when you move into a neighbourhood, you can't expect that in 2023, you're going to have the same uh, look, feel and character in the neighbourhood as you did in 1977.
1: You know, we weren't planning to make the most of the show talking about housing, but it is the issue of the moment we had Andrew Weaver on, and we were talking a little bit about climate change for our series The Next Million and how we can make the uh, region climate resilient. But part of that, a lot of that has to do with housing. And of course, we had Dylan Kruger on talking about Bill 44 and the fact that he is supportive of it. But there are many communities that have expressed Skepticism and concern in regards to the impact it'll have on their community, simply because, well, these communities feel they are building that missing middle, that greater density. Whether it's row homes, whether it's two- and three-bedroom townhomes, and and um, and condos. Surrey is one of them. Langley Township uh, uh, is another one. And with this um, uh, bill passing, Bill 44 passing, uh, developers will be able to start building a minimum of three and up to six units if it's near transit on lots currently zoned for single-family homes. Um, some have argued. Look, this is Bigfoot's um, municipal councils who are closest to the voters, closest to local people. Well, joining me now to talk a little bit about this issue uh, is Eric Woodward, uh, mayor uh, of the township of Langley. Eric, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I almost think you should have a co-hosting uh, title pretty soon. Uh, we've had you on quite a bit, but I, I think yeah. you've raised some uh, important issues. Now, we had you on the show on Monday, uh, and I had a response from Tom Davidoff, uh, who is a professor at the UBC yeah. School, Souter School of, of Business, and uh, he looked at some of your Facebook posts, and you expressed some of the concerns and the impact, direct impact it's going to have on certain neighborhoods uh, in your community. Uh, we have a, a clip here from Tom Davidoff. Uh, commenting uh, on what you had posted on Facebook. He also, I I believe, listened to your interview here on CKNW. Take a listen to his comments.
4: They may have spent a lot of time coming up with the plan, and it may have been a plan that worked for local voters, but it is not in the provincial interest. I don't think anybody uh, could possibly convince me that large-lot single-family zoning that's unaffordable to 90% of the population and induces suburban sprawl by gobbling up land for small numbers of homes— Nobody can argue that that's in the provincial interest. It may be in the local interest, and that's exactly why the province has to intervene. Delegating land use decisions to municipalities invites high amenity, high sprawl, high cost development that uh, is not sustainable and is not good for the overwhelming majority of the population. So having the province step in and force municipalities uh, to adopt zoning that's closer uh, to what's best for the community as a whole is just absolutely sound politics.
1: That's Tom Davidoff from the Souter School uh, yeah. of Business. Now, I do want to say, if you want to listen to the full interview, you can go to uh, Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to my Twitter feed at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Uh, I have a link there uh, as well to the interview. Now, uh, Eric, your broad thoughts, first of all, on his comments in regards to what you're doing out there in Langley.
0: Well, I thought it was as you know, pretty inaccurate and uh, completely uninformed, unfortunately, on what's going on here in the township of Langley. I clearly didn't read the plan. So uh, the the plan he was referring to actually allows for uh, quads and duplexes on larger single-family lots. So he was referring to uh, lots of homes for a few number of people. Actually, just isn't the plan. So uh, he obviously didn't read it.
1: Now, uh, one of the things I think you have mentioned to me in the past, now, uh, are you being told not to increase density out there? Because you are absorbing a good chunk of the population, a good chunk of the growth, along with communities like Surrey, well, South of Fraser, Exactly, yeah. So and who's that's, telling that's a key you this?
0: Component. Well, he's a, the key component that's missing is that somehow we're pandering to the 1%. In the township of Langley, we're actually not doing that. Uh, we're looking at it from all the way from the freeway to Zero Avenue, and we're building a wide range of different housing types. And, uh, you know, it was interesting for, you know, recently we would have been asked by TransLink, in fact, to not be building higher density farms further away from transit because they won't be providing transit to those areas. And then your expert comes on and says, "We're doing, you know, we should be building more density. He should be talking to TransLink as well. So we're told by Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure to build less housing because it puts more pressure on their infrastructure on Highway 1. And then we have the housing minister telling us that we're not building enough housing. So, I mean, it's quite comical. Clearly, your guest uh, doesn't know much about running cities.
1: So just for, I want to clarify this. So transit is yeah. telling you don't build density because we're not going to be able to get bus service out to you anytime yeah. soon. The highway folks That's are fair. saying don't build more density because we can't widen this highway fast enough.
0: Yeah, because it puts pressure on interchanges and they have to upgrade interchanges and they don't want to do that. So we've been getting mixed messages from the province uh, for quite a few years here in Langley and making changes as a result. And so you know we had a very good balanced plan in the Brookswood-Fernridge area that a lot of people uh, didn't like, but we bought into. We built some consensus. The other thing that was missed in that conversation is when the population is arbitrarily doubled uh, by fiat from Victoria, uh, we actually then have to have twice the number of schools, and that wasn't planned for. We didn't plan for double of the density requiring double of the school sites, and for every school site, the township of Langley has a 30 to $35 million uh, bill to pay because we helped the province build schools. And so it wasn't financially sustainable in some of these areas that are outliers where we're focusing on significant growth in the Willoughby area. So to look at one plan and call it a bad plan, I think, was, uh, was rather unfortunate. And, you know, if we have the province uh, listening to a small number of people that think that and don't understand all of the different ways that cities build housing. And no wonder uh, we have Bill 44 the way
1: it is. Um, how, sh- how many schools short is your community right now in your mind?
0: I would say at least six to seven, or at least six to, or at least three to two to three elementary, maybe four, one middle school, and at least one high school. and the situation is very desperate. We have the highest number of portables per student per capita in the province uh, right behind Surrey. And the province hasn't built a school in three to four years while we've seen 3,000 new students show up to the school district while the housing minister is telling us we're not building enough housing. Uh,
1: You mentioned uh, something about um, uh, paying for schools or at least the the dollars coming in from and that you would set aside. Um, What does this bill do or this law do in regards to your financing, development cost charges, and just the way you handle all the development, all the consultation, but there are dollars coming in as well. What does this do to the overall sort of city hall business plan?
0: Yeah, well, that's Bill 46 that is reforming and uh, community amenity contributions and, and transitioning those to an option of called amenity cost charges. So Bill 44, which has been missed a lot, is also requiring municipalities to pre-zone land for a 20-year housing supply, which we have been outlining to the minister we can't do in developing areas. We need the we need the rezoning process for greenways, road dedication, sidewalks, school sites, parkland. And we're now required to look at how we're going to pre-zone these areas. The ACC system, the amenity cost charge system, is actually going to create a lot of delays. And this is why you're seeing some municipalities now talking about having to delay community projects because there's going to be a multi-year lag as we switch to that system. And we're in that boat. We're going to have to delay community projects now. And uh, there was no concern about that.
1: What happens now?
0: Well, the bills are, I think, passed or on the verge of passed. I think all three are on the verge of being done. And we'll have to wait for the regulations. And, uh, you know, we're we're not under any illusions that this is going to cause a lot of problems. But we're also going to comply with the law. So if this is what the province is going to do, then we'll comply with it. And we'll make adjustments in our development plans accordingly and we'll, we'll update plans and we'll change them based upon uh, the dictation from Victoria, um, you know, because that's what, that's what we're here to do. We're here to find solutions and make the best of it that we can.
1: Will this, in your mind, build lead to more housing being built in your community? And B, uh, will it reduce the cost of housing, as the minister has said, based on their modelling?
0: I think in some areas of the township it will you know, we'll build the same housing we were gonna build anyway. Um and under Bill forty four we may see some, some real challenges financially in some of our established neighborhoods where we don't need to be going back to right now to add quads or six plexes in single family neighborhoods to deliver that middle. You know, i you and I have had many interviews about that. But in some of these other areas where, you know, we work, you know, Translink tells us not to build housing and the ministers telling us to build housing. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to have to look at some options on how we're going to do that and I think it will delay a uh, significant quantity of housing that would have otherwise been built especially in South Langley.
1: Hmm. Um do you see I, I don't I don't want to use the word revolt I think that's a bit too strong but do you see other communities joining uh, you in expressing their frustrations collectively i know surrey i think the brand lock was in victoria this week expressing similar concerns that you've raised uh, as well do you see other communities speaking up
0: i do so we have uh, richmond has sent in the letter they sent us so that you know you have coquitlam finally you know getting to the table you have surrey there the challenge that's happened here is bill 44 was introduced and passed so quickly that cities and their staff and our engineers and planners didn't have a chance to digest it and provide feedback before it was passed.
1: Uh, I'm trying to figure out what happens from here. I know there's going to be regulations. This is going to go on for many months. Do you believe you're actually going to have more housing built quickly, quicker than what the present system does?
0: Well, you know, if you look at the Preston system and what the challenges are and why housing's not getting built, it's not the approval process in cities. That's unfortunately a significant amount of deflection that's been created by the province and the federal housing minister as well. We have, you know, if you ask Mayor Locke, she's got over 25,000 units approved. We have about eight or 9,000 units approved. Coquitlam has, I think, 15,000 units approved. If you went around the region and added it all up, there's so many housing units approved that aren't being built because of a combination of construction costs, shortage of labor, material costs, and financing costs. And that is all at the feet of the federal and provincial government. And, and the challenge being that they're not working with us on solving some of those problems. Uh, they're simply passing these legislations and deflecting the issue. Yeah.
1: Eric, uh, I know you have a busy schedule. I really appreciate you making time for for our show and for our audience. Thank you so much. Yeah,
0: and I really appreciate your interest in this jazz. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves. And as I've said, we'll we'll move forward as as required and make the best of it.
1: Thanks so much. Okay, thank you.